Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the thank you, Mary. <laughs> See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Some versions read, O little flock. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't know how you found your way to Hamilton or whether Hamilton's always been home for me. So 13 years ago, I came to Hamilton. It was actually on the heels of being overseas of, of doing a thing with YWAM, with Youth with a Mission. Uh, I was a recent dropout of university. If I didn't drop out, I was probably going to fail out. And I was trying to figure out my way. I needed a time and a place to go deeper with Jesus. And it just so happened to be this discipleship training school in Maui, Hawaii. My pastoral recommendation for you is to always say yes if God calls you to Hawaii. <laughs> there will be no regrets on that. <laughs> I don't know if some of you I know have actually been to Maui, Hawaii. It's, it's an incredibly beautiful place. It's known as the Valley Isle, the Valley Island, because one half of the island is a peak of a tropical rainforest, and the other part of the island is a dormant volcano, and in the middle you have a valley. It's a spectacular place. So when I first arrived in Maui to say I was excited to be there would probably be an understatement. And one of the first places that I got to see and experience of this beautiful place was Mount Haleakala. It's the dormant volcano, which when I think about it, I always think of Mount Wanahakalugi from Finding Nemo. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I see that hand. <laughs> 
It's an amazing place. And, and the way I got to experience it, I'll show you a picture. It won't do justice for it. Um, but you're able to go up to the top and see the stars with incredible wonder. So this, uh, this was me trying to do a self-time photo before smartphones were a thing. So it was like, place it, run, and then there's like a wicked wind. So I think that kind of threw things off the axis a little. And selfies weren't even in the vernacular 13 years ago. So this is my best shot. But it's a pretty incredible experience. It's actually, the top of Mount Haleakala is known as one of the best places in the world to see stars. Because literally, 360 degrees, horizon to horizon, you're seeing stars everywhere. Nothing impedes your view. It, it, like it is, it's literally breathtaking to behold it. And then you get, to, because you're up actually above the clouds, you get to see every single moment that the sun is rising. And it's, it's well, it's, pr- just, it's probably beyond words to describe it. It was, it was pretty awesome. It's the closest thing I could think of to that moment in the Chronicles of Narnia and the magician's nephew when Aslan is roaring creation into existence and light is just breaking out. That's kind of what this moment was like. So it was, it was all right. But you know what, what was taking place in this moment is that uh, I felt... Well, I mean, really what was amazing about it is that nothing else seemed to matter. You know what I was thinking about in this moment? I don't know. I actually don't really remember. (laughs) Nothing else really seemed to be much of a concern because my priority was just taking in the beauty of what was right in front of me with no real need to look past the current moment. I could tell you, I know what I wasn't thinking about. I was not thinking about what I was going to have breakfast later that morning or what I might wear the next day or even what the whole next six months of my life was going to be and what God had in store. That just didn't seem to be a huge concern because somehow, some way, in a moment like this, it just, things seemed to be all right. I didn't have to worry for something past that moment. There was an incredible simplicity of just being present. I didn't have to have everything figured out. I could just have the joy of the current moment. Have you ever had a moment like that? I'm not actually, I don't mean like sort of an epic and kind of like grand moment, but maybe even just in simple ways, are there moments where time just seems to stand still just for a little bit and you can just enjoy the thing that is right in front of you, that you're not worrying about whatever it is that comes next? I don't know, maybe it was... Maybe it was actually a vacation. It was just very sweet to not have to always think about the next thing. Or maybe it's a deep laugh with friends that soothes the soul and you're just enjoying the moment. Maybe it's being lost in a good book or going for an aimless walk or just staring out at the beauty of creation. 
do we have moments where we learn to be content? Thankful for what we have, not worried about what we don't have. I think, I think this is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. The secret of learning to be content. I don't think that Jesus is saying that we uh, don't care about your life. Actually, there are great many things that are worth our care. I think Jesus' primary concern is what we choose to worry about and the degree to which we give ourselves over to that worry. What we worry about is really, I think, what we care about. It reveals something of our heart. Some things we should care about, and there are some things that we should not worry about. Not all worry is created equal. There are some stressors in our life that are good. Our body telling us that we're hungry is a good stress so that we will eat. Maybe I will still eat anyways, but we, we need that. Or maybe some of us know that unless we have a healthy stress of a deadline, some things just may actually never get done in our life. So not, not all worry, not all stress is created equal. Worry, I think in the sense that Jesus is talking about, is usually about being caught up with something in our past or future that we have little to no control over. A haunting past that's catching up with us or a scary future that's closing in and that either way it's just squeezing out the present. That is the worry that Jesus wants to deliver us from. For most of us, I would say, the constant obsession of worry is actually a preoccupation with ourself. Though our worry may be focused on some other thing, the concern primarily just remains with how it affects us. It is working under the assumption that God is not with us or for us, and so we have to take care of ourselves. And we take on the worry as our own. Jesus is warning us that our desire to ensure our own security is a self-defeating project. Who of us can guarantee tomorrow? I won't offer commentary on his life, but I don't think you would have to look much further than Kobe Bryant. Like a very sort of quick reminder of how fragile life can be. It was very interesting, fascinating to me, how much it caught the world's attention. I messaged Cody Green. He's you know, family on behalf of St. Clair in Uganda. I said, Cody, I'm thinking about you because he's a huge basketball fan. He said, oh man, all of Jinja is mourning. Because this sort of crazy global attention or awareness to the tragedy of nine people's lives, but you know, in this case, specifically one. And I think, I think something like that is jarring 
because it is such a harsh reminder of how fragile life can be, how quickly tomorrow may never come. Jesus puts this in perspective for us. He says, can you, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? He invites us to put trust, a wholehearted trust in the one who cares for all things, especially you, little flock, who he cares for with great attention. I think, I think, our world is desperate for people who know what is most important and deserving of our care. People who, with calmness and ease, not with panic and stress, can navigate our world with a knowing of what is good and not just a claiming to know what is right. If we're going to talk about what it means to live the way of Jesus in Hamilton in 2020, I don't think we have to look any further than someone who knows what it is to be an anxious, a non-anxious presence in our world. Someone who demonstrates grace and trust and patience. Someone who has learned the secret of being content. This would be by my estimation or by my observation. I think to be with people that carry a non-anxious presence, they often seem joyful and hopeful. Their eyes are bright. There's a lightness and a gentleness to how they walk and move in the world. And it's not because they're blissfully unaware or deliberately ignorant, choosing not to care. Rather, it's, it's the opposite. They are deeply aware of what matters most, knowing exactly what to care about and give themselves fully to. They're not divided or distracted people with their attention split a hundred ways, never present to the current moment. The word worry that Jesus uses in describing this in the Sermon on the Mount, is sort of, it hints at a kind of distractedness of being drawn in different directions. Non-anxious people know what deserves their best attention and focus. They have an inviting presence. I would say sort of kind of like gravitational pull that when you spend time with them, you just know you're, you're just better for it. Because their focus is not on themselves, but on others. They exude courage to face hard things without being tackled or overtaken by them. They can be remarkably honest because they see clearly. They can embrace their past without being haunted by it. And they can anticipate what is to come without forsaking the present. Anxious people, on the other hand, and what I mean by that is not those who suffer from anxiety in a way that is outside of their control, but those who choose to worry about the wrong things. They, I would say, 
by my observation, live in a small world where things always feel tight and constricted. Worry is the constant narrative of their life, and you feel like you have to be on your tiptoes with them in their presence because you never know what's going to be perceived as a threat towards them. Time with anxious, worrying people leave us feeling drained. We start to feel on edge because they are always on edge. Jesus says it is the pagans who find things to run after and worry about, but not so with you. So, I mean, what, what is the difference between worrying, a worrying, anxious life and being a non-anxious presence? I think it is the secret of being content. Paul in Ephesians 4.13, you might be familiar with this scripture. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the precursor to what Paul is saying is that he is explaining, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And that he learned it, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, that Paul knew somehow, some way, what it was to be content, and that he could simply take on whatever life threw at him. I think the secret of being content is this. It's a matter of trust. Trusting, is God really as good as he says he is? Is God trustworthy? The life of discipleship, by my estimation, is that it's a movement from mistrust to trust. Is God really as good as he says he is? I think that is actually the essential question of all of our lives. And how we answer that changes everything. And Jesus put it so profoundly simple. And he said the answer is yes. That our Father in heaven is as good as he says he is. And Jesus is asking us to take him at his word. Stanley Harwas says this. He says, such trust is not an irrational gesture against the chaos of life, but rather a witness to the very character of God's care of creation. So it is no wonder that Jesus directs our attention to birds and flowers to help us see how it is possible to live in joyful recognition that God has given us more than we need. Making the sun rise is effortless to God. Are you not much more valuable than it? How much more will God look after you. Our worries, our fears, our need to control squeezes out a beauty that we are invited to see. It doesn't give our hearts room to breathe. 
The genius of Jesus is that he points to creation in all of its expandedness and its abundance to remind us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness because we have a father that provides. Here's how I would like to close up for us before Michelle, she's what is going to come and lead us in communion. I'm going to read again for us Jesus's words. I'll read it this time from the message version because it, it just sort of brings out a different quality to what we've already hear, heard. And let me, let me ask you to participate with me in this way to close your eyes and take a deep breath. Probably a couple of breaths. And maybe it helps to sit up straight and just to be in a posture that is being attentive to the words of Jesus. You can take a few more breaths. Jesus constantly shows up in the right now of our life. And we too easily miss it for lesser things. If you have felt the weight of worry in your life, robbing you of seeking his kingdom first, if you long to live as a non-anxious presence in our world, I'm going to invite you to, to stand as sort of a, like a confessional act that you would just receive Jesus' words again, that you would offer up the burdens of your life, whatever those weights may be, that you could hear afresh the beautiful invitation of Jesus for all of us right here, right now. Hear the words of Jesus from the message. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free, unfettered, not tied down to a job description careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of the mirror, ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion do you think it makes that much difference? 
Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wild flowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The ten breasts the ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wild flowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you. Do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting. So you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes.